Are you expecting a baby or you've had a baby and you are just feeling so overwhelmed with the comparisons that you're making between your your baby and other babies and there are so many things to keep track of? This episode is for you. I'm talking to Alana. She is a pediatric physio and giving you so much practical advice from birth right through to toddlerhood. And it might come across a little bit salesy, but her book is incredible. I have a copy of it that I have purchased and I absolutely love it. It actually sits on my coffee table. So I was pretty excited to talk to Alana and she has packed so much from her book into this episode that you are just going to get so much value out of it. So stay tuned and enjoy. Hello, I'm Alex Tricolo. I'm a mum of three toddlers aged one, two, and three, and I'm a very passionate speech pathologist. I've helped countless children to learn their first words and speak more clearly, but most of all, I've given parents like you the peace of mind that their children are on the right path and that they have the tools to help them at home. I'm a very calm, positive person, and since becoming a mum, I have sought out information, research, and techniques that allow me to be firm and yet positive with my own kids, and mostly to feel more confident when I make decisions as a mama. But hey, I'm not positive every day. We do have our days, and there'll be a good dose of reality thrown into every episode. So... I have a little motto. If you don't know something, mama, learn. And that's what I'm delivering with this podcast. Information from other passionate mums who know the research and techniques of their field inside and out and can share that with you. Because to be honest, who has time to do the research themselves? And we all know Dr. Google is not your friend unless you know the right questions. Welcome to the Mama Learn podcast. Hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss an episode. This podcast is brought to you by my Club Trick membership, my super affordable membership program for mamas that gives you all the tips, strategies, vocab and activities to develop your baby's first 100 words and beyond. I have a very special deal just for you, my beautiful podcast listeners. Hop on over to www.alextricolo.com slash love to get your first month free in the club. Before I get started, I just want to apologize for the volume inconsistencies on this podcast episode. I am a one-man band and it's all me, so I'm still learning as I go with all this podcast business. 
And I also, very excitingly, Alana has given us a discount code. So if you want to buy her book after listening to this awesome episode, jump across to the link, which is on my website, www.alextricolo.com slash four. And that will take you to the page for this episode with all the links and the discount code. But enjoy. Okay, mamas, let's learn about movement today from birth through to toddlerhood. Today, I'm talking to Alana Gardini, an Australian paediatric physiotherapist and author of My Strong Little Body. I discovered Alana's book at just the right time for me, but I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So let's welcome Alana now. Hi, Alana. Thanks for, Hi. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me, Alex. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're with me. Um, I followed you on Instagram because I learned so much and I really feel like I connect with you in our way of working as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and your background. Okay. So I am a paediatric physio from the Gold Coast in Australia, like you said, and I am mum to two little boys. My um, journey with physiotherapy started when, or in high school probably, I just, I knew that I really wanted to be a physio. I didn't really probably know that much about it, but I knew that I wanted to work um, with the body. I, um, I love learning about uh, the human body in general I loved biology and then I sort of um, knew that I didn't want to be a doctor because um, being a doctor scared me too much. I thought that's <laughs> way too much responsibility. <laughs> I get that. Um, but then, yeah, no, I got the grades for physio and I ended up um, uh, finishing my degree in 2005. And through my studies, I found that I really connected with the um, paediatric pocket of physio. So um I, I think when a lot of people start physio they think of sports injuries and they think of um they probably don't know about the whole other broad range of um physio so there's the respiratory physio and there's um elderly people physio and there's acute care physio but i really um it, the pediatric pocket really resonated with me so i um i got into that straight away I worked in uh, community, um, community disability for the first couple of years. I actually went over to London for a couple of years and worked in the same kind of organisation over there, like community disability, which I just loved. I had some beautiful mentors there. Um, and I just really enjoyed the, the rewarding nature of paediatrics. I'm sure you would feel the same. I love getting to know families and working with families long term. Um, and it's just so varied as well. So that's how my journey with Peds Physio started. Um, I met my husband when I was in Florence, which is a whole different story. <laughs> wow. Uh, he's from Australia as well, though he's not Italian. <laughs> but um, he convinced me to move back to the Gold Coast at that point. So I quite quickly ended up working in a private practice on the Gold Coast back in 2009. Um, and ever since then, I've been working there at a place called All About Physio. So I've got my paediatric caseload there. And then I have been working there ever since. And I've had a couple of maternity leaves since then. Um, and that's where this whole journey with my strong little body started. Mm. Uh, I love that. Going back to what you said about working with children and families. I was the same. And, but I also found that working with adults as part of my studies I found it too taxing. Like I just knew that it wasn't for me because of the emotional 
side of it that's that goes into working with adults especially if they've lost skills that they had before um, yeah do you find the same I it's so different for me when I work because I actually do do a little bit of work with adults still uh, in mm. a very different realm though so obviously when I'm with working with children it's a lot of rehab or it's um it's neuro it's a lot of developmental physio um mm. i do the occasional sports injuries and um that kind of thing as well with your older children but it is quite a different um, approach to when i work with adults so when i work with adults i i do do mainly musculoskeletal injuries and i think mm. that it probably helps me in a way i find adults a lot easier to work with in that regard just because i i don't know i guess with children there's a lot of um, convincing that you have to do in regards to getting them to do certain things. I, I, in a sense, I love that part. Like we mm. kind of, we're playing as part of what we do. So, um, you know, trying to, you know, basically trick kids into doing things that we <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> but, you know, you have to be really creative. You have to be really on the ball and you um, obviously have to have a lot of energy, which, you know, is, is so much fun. I really adore it. But I do find a lot of the time when I'm working with adults, I can treat them and they and they leave. <laughs> the There's no tricking; I, you just do yeah, your job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they listen to me when I ask them to do something; they'll do it. <laughs> but no, I do. I love both aspects. But yeah, definitely, um, peace is where my heart is. Oh, it's good having that balance. Mm. Um. So, tell us about your book because it. I absolutely love it. I have a copy of it. And um, where did the inspiration come from uh, for it? Oh, my labour of love, my strong <laughs> little body. So it has been a long time coming. Um, I released it in hard copy, obviously, at the start of the year. And you were quick to grab one, which was I was so appreciative of. That was so lovely. It's <laughs> been a wonderful support to me. Um, but, yeah, I released it as an e-book last year and I, I basically started off the whole project because um well I, I became a mum myself and I realized that um there was so much I could do from a grassroots level. Um, I knew myself that um when I was becoming a mum I was even letting the ball drop a little bit myself. So I was forgetting to do tummy time. Um, I was, you know, I was probably quite an anxious mum to start with. Um, I was learning a lot of things. I was didn't have much sleep and so Things like tummy time, you know, even for a paediatric physio, um, you know, I sort of forgot about it. And my first little one ended up with a bit of a flat head. And I thought, oh, my God, like, <laughs> that was horrifying. So I thought if I could forget, you know, it's so easy for people to dismiss the importance of gross motor development in that first year. Um, so I wanted to create something that was a resource for mums that would... Um, basically enable them to easily access different uh, practical exercises for home that could help nurture their baby's development um, from week one. So, um, that, yeah, that's how it all came about, really. My um, babies were my biggest teachers. And so as I was watching them learn how to move, I realised that, you know, I could, yeah, I could teach so many other mums uh, really practical ways of being able to handle and play with their baby in a way that was really instinctual to me. So I was doing things with them that, you know, I'd hold them in certain ways or I'd play with them in certain ways and I would find that um, other mums were asking me what I was doing, like, why are you holding a baby like that or why are you, you know, what are you, you, know, what are you doing there? And I realised that I could, I had a lot of knowledge to be able to, um, 
help mums um, make sure that babies, their babies were developing on, you know, well rather than quickly. I think there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, babies hitting their milestones quickly. So, you know, my baby should be, you know, sitting by six months and they should be crawling by eight months and walking by 12 months. And I really wanted to create something that was reassuring to um, parents that it didn't have to be like that. It's more about getting your baby to learn to move well rather than move quickly. Um, so a baby's brain is really amazing, as you would know, Alex, as well. Mm. Um, there is a hundred billion neurons in that little brain when it is born, um, which is just to put that into perspective, it is um, as many neurons as there are stars in the Milky Way. So mm. it is an incredible little Christmas tree of lights in there. <laughs> and the way that those lights are lit up and neurons are lit up are by... Um, uh, repetitive practice and so um, one of the um, biggest learning um, what am I trying to say here the um, one of the biggest learning projects that a baby has really when they when they in that first year is learning how to move mm. um, you would probably say as well learning how to communicate as well Alex but, but learning how to move is one of the biggest um, you know, learning projects that a baby has. So okay. they repeat exercise, like they repeat movements over and over and over again. And that's how that little brain becomes um, lit up. That's how they end up with um, that, that architecture of the brain ends up being fully wired. And then they have this um, beautiful brain <laughs> that ends mm -hmm. up, um, you know, developing as it should. So babies have that, um, I think it's 80% of their brain volume is developed in the first three years of life. You know, we know that that first year is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I can really relate to everything that you're saying because um, we, we also are so focused on communication, but they really have to go hand in hand because we need to attach the language to the movement and, and attach the, um, the knowledge to the experiences that you have through movement. And mm. um, for children to learn to communicate, they need to be able to move towards things or to, um, you know, to roll to where they want to get to so that we can develop their communication because they're taking an interest in their world mm. um, so they really so beautifully go hand in hand and if we do them together those neural connections are even stronger because it's oh just yeah so much it's so interconnected isn't it it's beautiful mm. yeah um, and I love that you inject that normality into what you say around, you know, when you became a mum and uh, that your baby had a flat head and those sorts of things. And I think, um, I think as mums, we can often fall into the trap of focusing on one thing um, too much and actually forgetting that there are so many things that we can be doing. And that's just the nature of there being a million things we have to keep track of as mums. Mm. Um, but, uh, and that we, need to have that practical side of it that we can't focus on every single thing because not only is there so much but we're also sleep deprived and and learning so many other things that we've never had to do before yeah and i think as well like that that was such a big um light bulb moment for me realizing that you know a pediatric physio <laughs> can you know can forget about doing stuff like that because i i was i was so sleep deprived and i was 
you know, learning about all the things that you have to do, double handling everything and becoming an octopus arms mum, like you've got all the, all the mm. balls in the air trying to juggle this new life. So I think that being able to bring that back and realise that, um, yeah, it's, it's not realistic to be able to, to do everything. Um, yeah. So to be able to create something that was really solid, it's really easy to understand. It's 10 steps. Um, it's a chapter book that goes each chapter. So we start um, in the early days in the first six weeks, we move to tummy time, to rolling, um, sitting, crawling, pulling to stand, um, cruising, and then learning to walk. And then there's even a chapter at the end about toddlerhood. So it's just a big about creating something that was simple, practical, easy, easy ways to be able to play with your baby. And that's the thing. It's all about playing with your baby um, at home that um, could nurture their development um, and, you know, get those neurons really firing. And the thing I love about it is that it's full of pictures and they aren't just pictures that show you the movement, but that play side of it behind how you might help your baby to achieve those things um so that it's not you can't tell a newborn to roll but you can create motivation and create uh ways for them to start to roll if that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely yeah and it's um I think as well, just breaking it down into those smaller steps, like you can't obviously just roll mm. a newborn around on the floor and you can't mm. just plonk a newborn into sitting. It's really breaking it down into those little tiny, I call them nudges in the book, mm. um, you know, to know that um, each little part of movement has its own little trajectory as well. So you will start, um, you know, just by bringing a baby's hands to their middle um, and helping them to kick and then that then facilitates the next step, which will be rolling and so forth. Mm, it's so complex isn't it Mm. um okay so first year of life what is the number one main concern that parents will often come to you for yeah look that probably in clinic the most common thing i will see will be um plagio carefully which is the flathead they call it a flathead syndrome but it is it is it's not a syndrome it's just Mm -hmm. a condition that um occurs when a baby is um, spending a lot of time with their head turned in one direction and because a baby's skull is so moldable um, to allow for the birth process that side of the head will become flat over time if they're always looking in one direction and it is so common now because of the um the back to sleep campaign that was um, put together by um, SIDS and kids is obviously um working wonderfully there's been I think as a 90% reduction in you know SIDS um, deaths since that was put into place but then also um, the amount of plagio carefully has gone up to something like I don't I can't tell you exactly the number but it is ex- extremely mm-hmm. <laughs> increased so I sense. think it's something like 50% of children now do have um, some form of plagio carefully because parents are afraid to put their babies on their um, tummy at all mm. um, so and then it is very common for children to have a positional preference um, as a baby and whether that's because of something environmental at home so they are um, always facing one way when they're in their cot or they're always looking towards one direction, you know, whether it's in the pram, they've got a toy on one side or whether they're in their cot and they're always looking to one side to look to mum, that's a really big thing or they're always carried in the same way, um, which is another really big thing that happens. So um, the positional preference then means that every time they're laying down on their back, which is obviously all night, most of the time when they're babies, um, they will always look in one direction and that's when they get their flat head. So that's what I will see the most of. 
Um, and it's very treatable. The, um, the thing is we need to educate earlier and mums need to know about the importance of encouraging looking both ways from the start um, and also the importance of tummy time so then the plagia carefully doesn't happen. And like I said, I was, I'm the first to admit that I wasn't on my radar when I was first becoming a mum and my first one did end up it wasn't a huge flathead, but it did have head flattening. <laughs> so I was, like I said, I was quite horrified. But um, it is, it happens so quickly as well. Like I see little six-week-olds coming in and they've got quite a flat spot on their head. So the, the importance of educating, you know, new mums on just simple things like making sure their baby's swapping each time you pop them, pop them down um, in a bassinet when you first pop them down because they're usually going to look towards mum. Um, because mum is their warmth and their um, their food source as well and, and their everything. So they'll generally always look towards mum. So basically popping baby opposite ways in the bassinet every time. So they are changing their head direction. Carrying position is another really big thing as well. So trying to swap shoulders, especially, or just when you're cuddling them to your chest, making sure that you're swapping which direction that their head is turned um, when they are being carried. and um, just noticing things like, you know, when they're on the change table or even looking back on photos, if you've got a lot of photos of your baby, which everyone does, mm. um, and if you notice they're always looking in one direction um, and it, it's more common than you would realise, you would look back onto all your newborn photos and see that your baby's always looking in the same direction. That's a big indicator that they've got a side preference and you have to start um, preferencing it to the other way and changing the way you're holding them. Um, and then tummy time is the other really big educational part of that. So we need to really focus on tummy time from week one, really. Um, so then babies get used to being on their tums. Tummy time is so important for so many different reasons. It is the developmental foundation of a baby's you know, movement journey. Um, that's what I've learned to roll from, to crawl from, to pivot around. And, you know, and, you know from there becomes pulling up into a kneeling position, standing, you know, all of that. So tummy time is where it all starts. But, you know, taking that pressure off the head is another big part of that, um, as well as some other really, you know, amazing things. In my research in the book, I even discovered things like the draining of the eustachian tubes to allow for, um, you know, better hearing as well, improved hearing, because sometimes if babies aren't on their tummies enough, then their eustachian tubes, which are their inner ear tubes, mm. um, don't get drained enough, and so they're more likely to be ear infections and so forth. Um, wow. It's a you know great body awareness position. It's great for um, it's those initial um, sort of processes of learning how to balance um, lots of different things, and and obviously strengthen the shoulders and the and the fingers and the wrists and in the neck and the back. So tummy time is the most important um, position you can pop your baby in um, from week one. So that's another part of what we do, and you know as part of the plagio carefully education. Mm. Um, so yeah, that would be the number one. The other one is developmental delay. We see a lot of developmental delay, and that's you know that's a whole different ball game. That's you know facilitating movement from you know from whenever we see them. It might be a three month old, or probably not that early. Maybe a six month old who's not yet moving much at all. Maybe they're not yet um, rolling, or they're not anywhere close to sitting, or their head controls poor. And then we're just helping them facilitate their developmental journey. And that's really where my book you know came in because I. I wanted to also, from a clinical perspective, have something that I could refer back to and easily refer patients to to say, hey, this is what you need to be doing 
you know, the, the book is like my brain in a book. Like it's mo pretty much ex any exercise that I give to parents is in that book. So mm. I wanted also to be able to give my um, patients access to that book and say, here, here's this picture <laughs> of what you need to be doing. Instead of me writing little stick figures all the time, which is what I always was doing, just heaps, <laughs> of, stick, heaps, heaps of stick figures. So yeah, that was, that was the other thing. Yeah. Mm. But we see, we see all sorts in clinic. Like we see, like I said, we see sports injuries of older children. We see um, lots of, you know, lots of things like, you know, knock knees and um, bow legs and in towing mm. and trips and falls and that kind of thing. And, and the, other, <laughs> the other reason I wrote the book was to put a whole bunch of fact sheets at the end because a lot of the time people are coming to us and we can go, you know what, that's normal. Um, mm. You know, the bow legs is normal at that age or the, you know, the in-towing. Lots of parents come to us because they're concerned that their children are in-towing so they've got their pigeon-toed. Yeah. And, you know, there's a fact sheet on that about how that app actually is quite developmentally, you know, okay up until, you know, your adult limb alignment isn't in place till about the age of, you know, 8 to 10. So just things like that where I wanted to be able to give um, some clarification on all those things. So to save people a trip to the physio, really, a lot of the time. And I really love that parents can use the book to determine what is normal and, and then, you know, if their baby's still sitting outside of that realm, then, then at least they're seeking help at the right time. Yeah. Yep. And there's such a wide range of normal, isn't there? And it'd be the mm. same with speech as well, wouldn't it, Alex? Like there's, you know, we, yeah. we, we have parents coming and saying, oh, my baby's, you know, um, 12 months and they're not yet um, walking. And mm. that's so normal for that to happen. As long as they're, you know, developing along the right pathway and they're, you know, they're making um, gains steadily and slowly, but in the right direction and with nice movement patterns, then it's all okay. Um, and you know, so that is another big thing that I've mentioned in the book is that big window of variations of normal. So for rolling, a baby might roll at four months, but they might not roll up until like seven or eight months. Um, mm -hmm. and to know that that's okay and normal. And as long as a baby is starting to move around and roll around on the floor by eight or nine months, then that's all okay. And sitting as well. For some reason, we've decided that, you know, all babies should be able to sit independently by six months. But in actual fact, when you let a baby find their own way into sitting from um, like a crawling position, so if your main focus is on tummy time and they end up getting some really beautiful floor mobility and then they push up into a all fours position and then back into sitting, they can do that by themselves a lot of the time if you let them. Mm. And then that wouldn't happen until maybe seven to nine months of age. So being able to know that all those um, variations, those windows of opportunity of development are, are normal, then that's great. I just put something on Instagram recently actually about the about walking and how, you know, some babies are walking by nine months. I think mm -hmm. eight months is the earliest. It's wild. Mm. Um, I don't know how early your children were walking, but <laughs> were they well, early that's why or? That's why I found your book so valuable because uh, so my two girls, they um, both walked by 10 months, but, they didn't actually, they rolled very early and then they sort of crawled and sat and walked all within a month. They sort of just mm. took off with everything yep. and um, hardly crawled, maybe two weeks and yep. then literally went from walking to running within another two weeks. So, mm. um, and both of them did that. And then my son, who is now 18 months, 
was commando crawling for a really long time, like six to eight months and Mm. not interested in walking at all Mm -hmm. and sitting, but uh, just, just commando didn't want to do any normal crawling. And something I'm a big believer in from my speech pathology work is that I just want to provide kids with the opportunity and the motivation to do, to learn, but I don't want to teach them. Um, And that's why I really like your idea of nudges because you're not telling them you have to do this by a certain day kind of thing. You're actually just saying, Hey, this is the way you could go if you want to. (laughs) Yeah. Just nudging them in the right direction. Yes. Yes. So that was definitely a big thing for me that I really didn't want to teach them to walk and crawl and um, that sort of thing. But I did start to worry because my girls just did it so early. Mm. Um, What age did your son end up walking? Uh, he did probably about six weeks ago. So oh, yeah, yes. 16 and that's a half. so exciting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but worth the wait, right. And, you know, rather than pushing him into certain things and, you know, at that stage, a lot of parents would go, oh, I'm going to put him in a walker because, mm. you know, he, you know, he's 18 months or however old he is, you know, he needs to be walking or I'm going to put him in a jolly jumper so he can strengthen his legs. And that's what a lot of parents, if they didn't know, would do. Um, and you know, that's a whole other conversation in itself, like the whole container hopping thing and about how we actually don't need to put babies into containers to teach them how to do things. Like we don't need to put them in the jolly jumpers or the walkers or Mm. all of those kind of things. It's all about allowing them that, um, exploration of their environment. And, and like you said, showing them what they could do, um, but not actually, um, you know, you know, teach, you know, forcing, forcing them to do it if you like. Mm, yeah. And I love that because I even, um, we have a concrete, uh, exposed concrete driveway and mm-hmm. it's horrible to walk on, let alone in bare feet, let alone crawl on. Mm. But he still commando crawled up and down that driveway and just didn't walk. <laughs> and I thought, Isn't if that's not motivation. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my first son did that as well. So he, he, Commando crawled for ages, and I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah. And you know, I was—I would try to. You know, I thought, "Oh, maybe I need to give you a little bit of a hand." And I tried to give him some, you know, arm strengthening things, and and that's when for me, that's that's again another time where I thought, "Oh, this is stuff that I could really help other mums with because I can show you, you maybe he needs to strengthen his arms a little bit more, and this particular activity can help with that." Um, but you know, it was his own you know, developmental trajectory. That's Mm. what he, you know, he was probably always going to commando crawl for a little while. He, my little boy actually did end up crawling on all fours, but then he took a long time to be able to go. He was, you know, he's actually a a bit more of a cautious, Mm. I want to say, you know, a little bit of an anxious kid as well. So I think he was just being very careful and personality plays a big part of it as well. Mm. So he he was the same. He didn't start um, crawling until about six, sorry, walking till about 16 months. Whereas my second was very different. He was a little bit more like, as you you know, typical. He was, uh, I think, walking by about 11 or 12 months. So uh, it's amazing how different they are. They're all different shades of the rainbow. It's incredible. Yeah. But the thing I loved about your book is that I flicked, when I got it, I flicked straight to the walking pages. Mm. (laughs) And he was doing all of the things that you had suggested. You know, he was cruising furniture and stepping over like I got a picture of a towel rolled up and he was doing things like that already Mm -hmm. so I was like it's coming it's coming yes it's coming it's coming yeah that's right I always say reassurance is my middle name (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's 
looks exactly the same as me. You would yeah. do the same, wouldn't you? I, you know, I even see on your Instagram account, you're often answering questions of being like, this is okay. This is normal. You yep. Know? Yep. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, now I was blessed with three babies who love tummy time and mm-hmm. my, all three of them sleep on their tummies even now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about parents whose kids hate it? <laughs> yes. And this is the most, you know, it's the biggest question we get because, you know, I always bang on about tummy time and how important it is. And, but then it's almost seems unfair because the most important position is often the most difficult. And especially if the baby is particularly refluxy or spewy baby, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing, it does make it, it makes it hard and baby's uncomfortable. So I'd say the number one thing is to start it early because if you avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. And then because your baby cries every time you put them down and then you get to the point where, oh, I'm going to start trying to sit my baby. That, and that happens a lot. So mm. they'll avoid tummy time, but they know that they want their baby to start to sit. So, you know, at around four or five months, they'll start really trying to sit their baby. Baby will eventually to be able to be able to sit, but then try and pop them down on their tummy after that. Um, it is, it becomes really difficult. So mm. I would say keep persisting from early on. Um, So the second thing is that you need to be able to raise the head higher and sometimes quite a lot higher than the pelvis. Um, One, because it is so much easier um, from a gravity point of view. So if you put them flat on the floor, um, gravity is a lot more, um, has a lot more load on on the baby. And so it's harder for them to push up their head and that Mm. must feel really uncomfortable and hard for them. It's like us having a big, you know, weight on her head and then being trying to lift it up so taking away some of that effect of gravity and putting them on a slope or an incline and I always say my number one favorite position and you can do it from day one as soon as they're born and we really do it naturally is putting them on your chest and that has so many benefits from a um, you know a bonding point of view as well they always talk about you know kangaroo time in hospital so that skin to skin it helps with the development of breastfeeding Um, you know they obviously you know can smell you they you know that's their place of comfort and home so tummy time on your chest is definitely my most favorite tummy time position from day one and if you start with that and you keep going with that until they start getting a bit of um, you know strength in their neck and their head and they can start to lift up and then you can start trying some different positions but tummy time when you're just reclined back on say a 45 degree angle like you are in the hospital bed when you you know you're first Mm. there that's the perfect way to start tummy time um and then from there there's a whole bunch of tips and tricks that you can do so keeping that head higher than the chest and just a couple of my favorite examples are across your lap Um, and again you can do that really regularly um just in your routine if you're um just sitting with your new baby on the couch you can instead of popping them um you know, on your chest, you can then pop them. And it seems really unnatural for some people. I do, I did a little lot with my babies. I just plopped them on my chest face, sorry, on my legs face down. They were mm-hmm. in a tummy position and their, and their knees would be kind of closer to the couch yeah. and then their head and their arms would be resting on my legs and people would go, what are you doing? <laughs> Cause you obviously aren't looking at your baby at that point. Um, and that's obviously what you want to do a lot of when you, you know, when you've got your baby and you want to talk and, you know, look into their eyes and, you know, you're getting that connection, but it's just another position you can pop them into. Um, that is actually really great. You can get into a real habit of doing that, say after a fee. That's what I would do when I was adjusting my, you know, 
my clothes and clipping my, you know, my breastfeeding bra back on, I'd pop them back down on their tummy on my lap. And that was just another way that I was getting more tummy time in throughout the day. And then I'd chuck them back on the other boob. And um, so that was just, and it's getting routine. That's, mm. that's, a, that's a, another really big thing. So being able to do, you know, everyone has their own little routines that they do, but I would tend to try and do, a, you know, they wake up from their sleep. I'd give them a feed. You'd have a little play and a, and a giggle and a little cuddle and, and then do tummy time and, you know, whether you do a feed before sleep or, or not. But if you do that really regular routine, then you're going to um, get more minutes in. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, you know, how many minutes should my baby be doing at this age? And I've heard some pediatricians say, oh, every, for every week old they are, they need to do that many minutes. And I would say, no way. Like if your baby is screaming as a three-month-old in tummy time, you're not going to make them stay there for three, three minutes. Mm. You, need to re- you need to adjust the position. You need to put them back on your chest. You need to find a way that they can make tummy time you know, be, you know, tummy time can be, you know, not, not necessarily enjoyable, but, but tolerable. Um, but yeah. you certainly don't want them screaming and crying. So, um, if your baby gets a little bit grisly, that's okay. But if they're really upset, take them out of the position, do something else and, and, you know, come back to it later. And I would always say as well, make sure that they're, you know, they're not hungry and they're not too tired. Like when a newborn, you know, is only having an hour of awake time, you're not going to put them down on their tummy just before they need to go to sleep because they will be really grumpy in the position. Mm. So you need to, with newborns, it's a little bit harder, which is why the tummy time on the chest is so nice because they really don't have a lot of time that they're awake. Um, and if they're particularly spewy or refluxy, then you, you know, you don't want to have them on their tummy straight after a feed either because they will probably vomit. So, um, you know, it's, yeah. it is tricky in that time. So that's why I would say on your chest is the number one time. And then um, I know that there's a, a lot of um, people would, would, would um, pop their babies up on pillows and stuff like that for their tummy time. I've got a couple of ideas in my book that are, um, one of them is propping them up on like a like a real slope that you can create with say a um, a mattress, um, like a small mattress, or even like the if you pull the couch cushions off the couch mm. and pop a pillow underneath one end, so you've got like a little wedge, like a mm. like a, a slope incline thing, and then you can pop your baby on that to really start to increase the incline. So then that head is nice and high. The pelvis is low um, and, you know, you can maybe get another extra 30 seconds or an extra minute like that and slowly, slowly start to get them up to that point where they can do, say, 10 minutes at a time. That's great. And ideally, a six-month-old, you would want them on their tummy for, you know, about an hour a day if you can, if you can manage it. And I love, I love that because I think, you know, we get our beautiful play mats and we think we're just going to put our baby down for tummy time and they'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> But absolutely. that's not the, the reality of it. No. And that it's okay to have different, different ways of doing it and to have them on you when they're just not ready to be on their own yet. Um, yeah, you have to, you've got to vary it. Yeah. I used to set up like a, a gym for my babies, especially if I had to put them down for a second to do something. Mm. and you know do um five minutes down there and then another five minutes on me and then another five minutes with a mirror and just try to vary it so that in the end you've actually achieved so many more minutes just by varying it and it not being about being on a mat for on your own for 20 minutes exactly yeah and you know some some mums really like a you know very structured routine mums like a certain amount of minutes per day you know how many how many minutes per day should I be doing this and I would say sure let's aim for 
you know, when we're talking about the nudges in the book, like the different exercises and the different um, ways that you can play with your baby to, you know, to nurture their development, I would say, okay, aim for 20 minutes a day, um, but break it up, break it up mm. and, and do it a little bit here and a little bit there. So you're not going right, but baby exercise time at, at 12 <laughs> o'clock and then, then yeah. you know, the, you know, they're grumpy by five minutes in and then give up on it. So you've got to, you've got to work with your baby. Every baby is so different. Um, you know, temperaments are different. Temperament is a huge thing when it comes to, um, you know, therapy as well. I'll have lots of um, real firecrackers that come in and, you know, from the start that you're not going to be able to get what you want out of them in one session or in just in, a, you know, you might only be able to get a few minutes here and a few minutes there. And I'm sure it's the same for you, Alex. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With my own kids and also with, with clients as well. Mm. And such a big part of development in general, like is the, is personality. Like I was saying, there's really cautious babies who will be a little bit more cautious with their gross motor development as well. Some babies, you know, feel a little bit more scared about moving and yeah. it's so complex because it's all about the sensory system and their vestibular system. And um, just like some babies feel more frightened or, you know, they don't like the car because it, it feels a little bit scary for them, I think, mm. um, you know, and so they might be a bit more sensitive to movement. And so they don't really go for it. Like some babies who were just like rolling and rolling across the floor, at, you know, five months of age and you can't stop them. Whereas some babies just might roll from front to back and then that'll be enough for them for now. And then as they learn, you know, then they'll learn the next step in their own time. So personality plays such a big part, isn't it? Yeah. Because although both my girls walked at 10 months, they had really different motivations, I feel, because my eldest is very mature and... Um, Typical firstborn. They're always so, they're yes. so mature and responsible, aren't they? <laughs> and she just, <laughs> she just wanted to be like an adult very quickly, I think, mm. whereas my second is just needed to climb and jump off things and break the rules and it's almost like walking with her gateway to that so it's yep, funny that totally they're both that. typical second different. child too right <laughs> yeah yeah second child <laughs> <laughs> funny I hope you're enjoying this episode. I'm just quickly interrupting to share with you that I hang out on Instagram a lot, like a lot, a lot, and I share as much free information as I can from my perspective as a speech pathologist, and I will even answer your questions in my DMs. So if you've got a quick speech or language question, let me help you get peace of mind and pop into my DMs. Mama, learn something new just by following me. My handle is simply at Alex Tricolo. So we've talked a little bit about walking and also about those early days with the tummy time. Um, but can you talk a little bit more about crawling and what we can expect? Sure. So crawling is um, is a funny milestone because we all expect it, but it's actually not essential in the um, whole pathway of movement. So we as physios love it when babies crawl because it just means like it's a bit of a tick the box thing to know that babies are developing, sorry, are developing, you know, normally. Um, crawling is great, like on all fours is great because it means that we... Um, that baby is getting that window of opportunity where they're strengthening their shoulders, their core, their even their wrists and their fingers. Um, and it's, you know, you're getting that um, reflex integration, which um, is, I won't go into that too much, but it is thought to, thought to you know, help with reflex integration 
Um, but most importantly, it's about exploration, confidence, you know, being able to, you know, make decisions about where they're moving and, um, you know, developing a little bit of resilience as they're starting to explore their environments as well. But then you can get that from other forms of floor mobility. So the commando crawling, like, like my son, my first son did for a long time and, and like your son did as well. You can get a lot of those things from commando crawling as well. Mm. Um, even bottom shuffling to a point. So bottom shuffling is probably the least ideal form of mobility from a physio point of view, from a gross mm -hmm. motor point of view, because it means they're not getting that time weight bearing through their hands, um, mm. which is what we like so much about the, um, about the crawling is that they're weight bearing through their hands. They're getting that strengthening through their fingers. Um, there is, there isn't that nice symmetrical, um, cross body movement that you're getting from the crawling and the commando crawling. So, mm. but you are still a baby is still learning how to move aren't they they're just developing their own way to do it so they're they're just um they're doing that on their bottoms <laughs> you know and any bottom shuffling baby will still learn how to you know to stand and to walk it's just that they might take a little bit longer that way um we do like to encourage crawling though and that's why again tummy time comes in as as um you know the most important foundational position um, for a baby's movement journey because more than likely if a baby is happy in tummy time that's when they'll start to move into the pivoting on the floor and then um, some kind of uh, prone mobility we call it which is basically um, mobility from a tummy time position so it'll be that commando crawl or the or the four-point crawling um, I think the actual studies show that 10% of babies we know that they just won't crawl um, and that is what has been shown in the evidence. So, you know, your baby might be in that 10% and that's okay. We just need to be able to give them other ways that you can promote, um, you know, some of those really nice skills that babies get from crawling. So when they're a bit older, you want to probably introduce a lot more climbing um, because climbing um, is kind of like what, you know, if you think about how a, a young child climbs on play equipment and through play centres and even, you know, up trees when they're older, it's using those same kind of movement patterns, isn't it? It's that cross-body movement. It's using strengthening of the arms and the shoulders and the fingers and, the, and even the toes. So, um, you know, there is other things you can do if your baby, you know, is in that 10% that doesn't crawl. Um, and there's such a variation of when babies do start to crawl. So it'll be between five and I think 12.5 months is, um, mm. you know, the big window of opportunity. So, um, yeah, crawling is a, is a funny one. We like it when babies tend to crawl for about three months for the best amount of motor learning. Um, and I think it's important, again, to, to um, recognise that it's all that beautiful developmental learning that happens before walking that is the important stuff. Or it's, so it's important not to rush a crawler into standing or into walking. Um, and especially not into walkers or jumpers because it's that time that they're getting on the floor, moving, learning, exploring and finding their own um, body awareness. And that's where that actually all that beautiful um, uh, neural connections are happening and your brain is lighting up like a little Christmas tree and all those um, that wiring is happening inside the brain at that time. And, and for listeners, you're, you're talking about, in terms of walkers, you're talking about ones where you put your baby in and it's got... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Supported. So they're different types of walkers. You're right. So the spider walkers are the ones that we don't recommend. So the spider walkers are the ones where you would pop your baby into like a sling seat. Mm -hmm. So anything your baby is sitting in is what, and you know, has wheels on it and you see them, you know, crawling like, like sort of like a little crab cruising around mm -hmm. everywhere and they can go sideways and forwards and backwards. Yeah. Pretty sure my brother had one and my mum always 
always said that he fell down the stairs and <laughs> he never learned how to actually have those protective reactions because he, you know, when you fall down, when you're in one of those walkers, the tray saves you. So when you're actually walking, you don't have that protective reaction when you're actually, um, you know, falling and putting mm. your hands out in front. So you lose that reaction. So they're not recommended for a lot of different reasons. And, and babies who are in a lot of, a lot of the time in jolly jumpers and, um, and baby walkers like that, sometimes it lends itself to toe walking, you know, and that's, you know, one of those developmental um, sort of movement patterns that we want to avoid as well. Mm. And toe walking is a whole other thing. I won't, I won't talk about that today, <laughs> but, you know, we just know that we want babies to, I think the main key messages from today is you want babies to get there at their own pace. You can nudge them in the right direction and make sure that they are, um, you know, moving well and with really nice movement patterns. So you're avoiding things like the bottom shuffle if, if you can. Um, but you know, you want them happy in tummy time. So then they can eventually move at their own pace with a little bit of nudging through to the, you know, nice stable standing and then walking, um, really confidently by the time they're two. Mm, okay. So Alana, do you have, uh, you've given us so many tips throughout, but do you have any <laughs> extra top tips that you think mums would really benefit from? So yeah, yeah, for sure. In the first chapter of my book, and I might just even give you these top tips. They are like from basically from the first chapter of my book, which is, um, I call it early days. So it's for mm. those first six weeks at home. We've probably touched on quite a lot of it already. Yeah. Um, but I'll just go through them. So the first one is look after yourself. That's always the number mm. one thing I say. I think we, you know, we touched on a bit about, um, you know, learning how to become a mom and, and, and how much of a huge, um, you know, process and, and learning process that is for ourselves. And, mm. and, you know, if, if you're um, not in a good headspace and, you know, you're feeling um, out of sorts or if there's, you know, you feel like there's any chance of you having any postnatal, you know, anxiety or anything like that, then, um, you know, your baby's, you know, in trouble. So you need to be able to look after yourself first and, you know, you have to be the number one priority. So if you feel like you're, um, you want to talk to someone or, you, you know, get support from your family and friends and, um, and your GP if needed. So that, that's definitely my number one tip. Um, recreating the womb is something that I talk about a lot in the first six weeks. So mm. swaddling is a really big part of that. Um, you know, we know that the womb is a really safe, secure, really tightly squeezed place for the baby. They mm. love it in there. If you can imagine the most perfect environment with, you know, gentle shushing sounds and, you know, you can hear mum's heartbeat. They're nicely squeezed. It's the perfect temperature. They're floating around without any gravity to worry about. Mm. And then they come out into this big, scary freezing world and you know they probably want to be asked to be you know they're probably asked to be put straight back in if, if they could so recreating that womb environment as much as you as much as possible in the first six weeks is is important so swaddling is the number one thing i would say baby wearing i love um nesting is something that i talk about and you can have it if you if you any of your mm. listeners do um purchase the book i've got some um uh, uh, pictures in there of the, of the nesting. It's basically creating a nest environment to allow um, like a secure position for the baby to be in to ensure that they get there, they can explore their body and they're not like in that startling position as well. Because if you put mm. a newborn flat on the floor, often they will stretch out and startle a lot. So it's just giving them a nice, secure, comfortable position where they can explore their body from. Mm. Um, giving womb sounds even, you know, probably even at sleep time is something, you know, you can get apps with womb sounds and obviously having regular dark, quiet time as well. You know, mm. obviously when we've got a newborn 
you know, everyone's wanting to meet the newborn and, you know, we're wanting to show them off to everyone, but making sure they have those regular times of, you know, dark, quiet, snuggled, nestled times. Um, so then they, you know, they're not being um, overstimulated. Um, just on um, swaddling, just briefly as well, I know we're running out of time, Alex, but on swaddling and baby wearing, one of the things I will say is about hip dysplasia. Um, their hip dysplasia is um, a very common condition in newborns. One in 50 babies will be diagnosed in Australia. Mm. It means that the hips haven't formed properly in utero and they can be um, dislocated or dislocatable. Um, it used to be called congenital hip dysplasia, but now mm. we actually call it... Um, developmental dysplasia of the hip because it can actually happen after birth as well so mm. um it um can be affected by swaddling and baby wearing if um, they're done incorrectly and so the most important things when you're swaddling your baby is to ensure that your baby's legs are um, able to be opened fully like a frog position you want mm. babies to be able to have fully abducted legs which means knees out um, like a little frog when you're swaddling mm. them so making sure you're not tightly bundling them up um, in a like a in a little rod shape if you like you want to be mm. able to have that nice free easy leg movement to yeah. allow full opening of the hips um, and same with baby wearing you want to make sure that rather than having their legs hanging straight down you want them to be in that um, froggy position even with the knees higher than the hips and fully spread on you and even with a newborn that's possible in, with baby wearing um, again in the book I've got positions um, of preference for that and a lot of information on hip dysplasia that you can um, there's a couple of websites hipdysplasia.org and healthyhipsaustralia.org.au mm. um, have lots of information on hip dysplasia but um, you know even though I would say you know make sure that you're doing all that recreating the womb with swaddling and baby wearing making sure you're doing that correctly to protect the baby's hips. Um, we've talked about tummy time on your chest um, because it is the foundation of movement for a baby and it is where it all um, naturally happens, you know, at the beginning. So tummy time on your chest is um, another one. You um, touched briefly on you've made a little baby gym for your um, mm. for your kids. So um, that's actually one of the number one pieces of equipment I recommend is literally a baby gym. And by that, I mean one of those, um, you know, you've got your mat and then you've got your little half hoop over the top with all the dingle dangles coming around, yeah. um, you know, hanging down. And you that is one of the, um, you know, pieces of equipment that I do recommend. I don't recommend a lot of equipment for babies, mm. you know, things like the, I won't mention names, but the big chunky plastic seats that everyone shoves their baby in mm -hmm. <laughs> that doesn't help them that doesn't help them to sit um you know the standing activity centers don't help your baby to stand they might be good for a little bit of a distraction for a little while um you know the jumpers don't help your baby to walk to you know to to jump and, and jump you know and, and mm. run you know they're, they're not necessary what's necessary is giving your baby that time to explore movement on their own so um the baby gym allows for that so it allows for swiping for head turning for visual tracking um you can have baby in their little nest that i've spoken about earlier in the baby gym you can have baby on their tummy in the baby gym. It's where often they'll learn to kick and roll and do all of those things. So the baby gym is one of the pieces of equipment I will recommend. Um, we've talked about plagio carefully and avoiding plagio carefully. So turning their head and we talked about all those different position changes, carrying positions, mm. position in the bassinet, all of those kind of things as well. Um, 
And what is my other one? little? Oh, yes, don't be afraid to seek help. So, of course, if you're concerned about anything um, in regards to your baby's movement, especially in those early days about any um, side preference that they've got, if you, if you feel that they've got a tight neck, um, you know, or if you notice anything with their feet or anything like that, don't be afraid. There's no silly questions. It's better, you know, your, your um, baby's biggest advocate and you know your baby best. So a mama's instinct is, you know, the number one thing that I go by. Um, and, you know, it's always best to get it checked just to reassure yourself. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to lose extra sleep over worrying about something um, when you don't get enough sleep as it is. So no, that's right. Just go and ask someone that's fine and they can put your, put your mind at rest. I love that. And if I do just inject that speech pathology aspect to it, that you are as a, as a mom, you are such a tool in, in all of it, in adding excitement and praise and language to those experiences. So tummy time could last a little bit longer with the interaction and the facial expression that you add to it. Oh, absolutely, Alex. And I always do say that, like, you know, you are your baby's favorite thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting down on the floor with your baby and having that eye contact and that interaction and, you know, being able to, you know, giggle and talk and, you know, make those first sounds with your baby in that tummy time position or in any position, really, it's, it's your baby's favorite thing in the world to do. And you're right, you can, you know, you can get so much more out of it. And it's so interconnected, that communication and the movement um, development as well. Yeah. Well, Alana, I think we could probably talk all day yeah, <laughs> about these I think things. So. I've nattered on. I do apologise. No I way. I think everybody's going to find listeners. it so so useful. Oh, I've just had one of my kids pop in, oh. <laughs> and um, I, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining me. I've really loved talking to you, and. I'll be putting all the links uh, to your book and to your website and your Instagram so that people can come and find you and find out more because I know you have so much more knowledge to give everybody. Um, But thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Alex. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed this uh, little chat we've had and I'll I'll pop down some, I'll give you some different resources that we can um, pop down on those links that people can um, look into if they'd like. Thank you. Thanks Thanks, Alex. Thank you so much for listening today. Did you learn something new, Mama? I would love for you to subscribe if you haven't already and rate and review while you're there. But while I've got you, I want to know who would you like to hear from or what topics do you want to know more about? Drop me a DM over on Instagram at Alex Tricolo. Until next time, have a lovely week.